Do you wonder what it was like to be in that synagogue that day? As Jesus stands up to read, this celebrated teacher finally at home at last. I think that the anticipation in that room must have been crushing. I remember what it was like to preach in my home parish after having been ordained a priest with my Sunday school teachers right there and my acolyte and youth group leaders back there. All these people who had known me forever. And I was decidedly not the Messiah. <laughs> and the scroll of the prophet Isaiah is handed to Jesus. And he finds these words. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me. Because he has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim release to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind. To let the oppressed go free to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Now here I think context is helpful. And we've just in the last century discovered this. Because we've recovered some texts from this messianic community of Qumran in the area there around the Galilee. They were an ascetic Jewish community around the time of Jesus. And that reference from Isaiah, we've actually found texts in this community that points to the teacher of righteousness to the coming Messiah as the one who will embody these words. So that sense is likely in the air as Jesus reads aloud. So can you imagine what that silence must have felt like? The weight of it? Did anybody actually breathe? They have been waiting for this moment. They've been hearing about Jesus, who they know, for days and weeks. Maybe they've been waiting their entire lives. And Jesus breaks the silence by preaching one of the most compelling sermons of one line that you've ever heard. You know, if you're into the whole brevity thing. <laughs> he says, today this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. Today this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. Now, there was likely more to the teaching, but that part about the fulfillment, the completeness of the scripture that was clearly the line that they remembered. And they remembered it and passed it down until it could be written down. Because this completeness was about Jesus and it was about them. 
Remember, Jesus speaks these words from Isaiah to a people who were hungry, who were starving for wholeness. In a world that fractured and fragmented them, seeing them as little more than gears in an empire. And these words from Isaiah, the words that Jesus uses that we translate as release and go free, those are the words used for the jubilee. The jubilee, as in the the 50th year, the seventh Sabbath of seven Sabbaths, The year when debts are forgiven, when the land rests, when slaves are freed. The jubilee, that biblical mandate that is meant to keep society from spiraling out of control. This is what Jesus was fulfilling. And he uses language that will echo throughout this gospel of Luke. That he is fulfilling God's promise of restoration and of liberation, making it complete today, now. And this is the radical statement, right? Because no longer is there a question of who, for whom, when. The radical statement of Jesus makes it clear to all listening that day. It is now and it is for us. Alongside this story, we have another story about what happens this morning when God's words are spoken aloud. And this story from Nehemiah is about the return of the people of Israel, at least the descendants who had been living in Jerusalem and who had been in exile in Babylon for generations. Finally, they have been allowed to return. And so slowly over the course of decades, through the books of Ezra and Nehemiah, with fits and starts, they begin to come back. And they find Jerusalem ruined. Can you imagine their heartbreak? All their life, in exile, they have heard about the city of David. And then against all odds, they are allowed to return. And everything is in ruins. Everything has to be rebuilt. Before the passage we heard just now, we read that the houses within the city haven't even been raised. And still the multitude, thousands, gather before the water gate. And they ask Ezra to bring the law of Moses. Scholars think it's actually possible that for some of them this is the first time they've heard the entirety of the Pentateuch these first five books of Moses this might be the first time they get to hear it read aloud 
and they find something that has been there all along waiting for them. Ezra begins to read these words aloud and the stories of the people of God spill from early morning all the way through into midday with interpretations so that everyone can understand. And the people once again hear of a society filled with shalom, of what it means to live in order with one another and with God. And what I find stunning and beautiful these thousands and thousands of years later is how the people of Israel respond. They begin to weep. Why did they weep? Was it hearing the law of Moses that had them move to tears? Was it regret for the loss of the law while in exile? Was it sadness in realizing how they were falling short now that they had heard how they were to live? Was it joy because they had recovered what was so precious? My sense is that it was all the things the fullness of all the things. Because so often in those moments, it's all you can do to cry. And I also wonder if they realized in that moment that these words were about them, that these promises of God, of a steadfast love that never ceases, were being fulfilled at that moment with them. And so they wept. Have you ever wept when you realized suddenly that something was meant for you? A love that came out of nowhere, a truth you could not deny, a joy beyond words. I believe this is what the people of Israel felt in the midst of their heartache and their loss when they heard the words of the law, the promises of the Holy One, they knew deep within their souls, they knew that it was about them. I find this to be one of the enduring and challenging truths of Scripture. And it's why we need to hear it spoken over and over and over again. That the liberative, restorative, restorative promise of God is meant for us and for all. So often we forget this truth. Or we think that it's meant for someone else, someone who lived long ago, someone who was more faithful or someone who was more courageous or someone who was more worthy. But it's for us. And I have to tell you, I heard it really clearly this past week as I was reading through our annual report of 1969, especially in the words of our deaconess, Esther Davis, 
telling the story of this parish. Yes, there was turmoil. Yes, there were riots in these streets. There was cultural upheaval that tossed asunder all the time-honored patterns and practices that people knew. And at the same time, this congregation was also yearning to bind up the broken hearts, to free others, to free themselves from the bonds of racism and misogyny, of greed and apathy. And here we are, 50 years later, still coming together to hear these words on the corner of Cedar and Spruce. And here we are, in a nation riven with division, with uncertainty swirling around us, hearing the words of Nehemiah and Isaiah and Jesus, and wondering who they might be for. The words offering good news to those who are poor. It's about us. The words about participating in the liberation of the imprisoned. It's about us. The words about opening the eyes of all who do not see. It's about us. God's promised realm of forgiveness and freedom that we so desperately yearn for. It's about us, friends. It's about us.